Good morning, Cornerstone. My name is John, and I will be doing the scripture reading for today, which is from 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, to chapter 3, verse 10. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Cornerstone. It's good to be with you again. We continue our series through the letters of John in the New Testament, the series titled Walking Like Jesus. Today's text commands us to abide in Him, meaning abide in Jesus, and challenge us to place our confidence in Him and His return, His second coming. When you and I misplace our confidence, we may end up being humiliated or ashamed or uh, disappointed. And, and I was thinking of three things. There's a lot more, but there's at least three things that we often uh, misplace our confidence. And we misplace our confidence often in our jobs and what we do for work. This probably is the easiest thing for us to, in which to misplace our confidence. As long as we're employed and we're making good money and we have good benefits package and we're able to feel like we can provide for our family and be, or if we're not, if we're single, be financially independent, uh, then we feel confident. But jobs come and go, as we know, especially in today's climate. You know, stability and wealth may become our anchor in life, a financial independence. Uh, but then we may have the experience to that of the ship called the Marine Electric, which sank off the coast of Virginia early in 1983, costing the lives of 31 sailors. The reason for this was that the ship's eight-ton anchor came loose from uh, being secured, and then it battered the hull of the ship until the ship went down. And uh, interesting, the, the, the ship was destroyed by its own anchor. 
if wealth and financial independence and security is our anchor in which we put our confidence, it will destroy us in the end as well. If we misplace our confidence often in our government, that's something we, we may not feel that way right now uh, after last Tuesday's presidential debate. But if we look at the way you and I live, we, have, we place a lot of confidence in our government, especially to keep law and order. Think about it. Do we drive around uh, in fear of our safety? Uh, most of the time we don't. We have much peace when we drive around our communities. Uh, we don't feel like the need to carry a gun uh, in order to secure our protection. Most of us do not. Uh, we can call 911 and expect a fairly quick response in our time of need or in our time of trouble. But, you know, all this could change quickly. A serious earthquake or a hurricane or a disputed presidential uh, election could take this away. Our confidence would evaporate maybe in our government. You see, our confidence may be in something that could fail. And then we often misplace our confidence in ourselves. This is probably something we all do very often. And we get such great confidence in ourselves, thinking we can do anything if we just put our minds to it. Uh, we can always try to figure things out on our own. And if we accomplish something, we take great pride and confidence in what we've accomplished. But as Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So jobs and government and ourselves even are things that we, in which we misplace our confidence. So therefore, in what should we place our confidence? Well, confidence in Jesus, the Lord Jesus, and what he has done for us and the world. In our text, 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, through chapter 3, verse 10, begins speaking of the confidence that we can have when we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ at his second coming. Chapter 2, verse 28 says, And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Now, remember last Sunday from chapter 2, we read the encouragement to beware of liars. Uh, this is an encouragement to us who follow Christ, to beware of liars and not to stray from the truth. Because a group of people that, uh, that had left the church uh, was now teaching, making false teachings and causing confusion and leading people astray. Verse 27 ended with these three words, abide in him, abide in Jesus. And this is the command then that the author John carries forward into our text in verse 28. And in verse 28, the author uses this same command, abide in him. And John here is just simply restating the teaching of Jesus from the gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 5, when Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Abiding in Jesus means having a vital union with Jesus 
in living by His life and not our own. So we are commanded to abide in Jesus so that we can be confident when He returns again and we stand before Him. But confident in what? Well, if Jesus Christ were to return right now and stand before us, would you be confident that He would invite you into His kingdom for eternity? Where is your confidence placed? And the next three verses of our text state five things that we can have confidence in as believers and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm going to go through these quickly. We can have confidence in God's righteousness in believers. Chapter 2, verse 29 continues saying, If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. Jesus is righteous. And those of us who follow Him do right as well. When a child exhibits the nature of his or her parents, uh, then we can know whose parents they uh, belong to. I mean, whose the child they are. And John encourages believers and followers of Jesus to have confidence in God's righteousness that is displayed then through our actions, if we follow Jesus correctly. And right behavior provides the visible proof in that way of being a follower of Jesus. Good deeds cannot produce salvation as the scriptures say in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. But good deeds are the proof that true faith is present in the person. As James chapter 2, verse 17 says, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Therefore, we can have confidence in God's righteousness that is evident in our lives by, through, and by and through what we do and how we live. So we can also then, we see in our text, have confidence in God's love for us. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. And here we see that we can have confidence in God's love for us. Jesus said in John 15, 13, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And that is exactly what Jesus did for us. He, the intense love that He had for us, confronts us whenever we meditate on what Jesus did for us and the sacrifice he made by giving up his life for our on our behalf so we can put our confidence in God's love for us and then we can also have confidence that we are God's children as we see in that same verse chapter 3 verse 1 when it says that we should be called children of God and so we are you know a Sunday school superintendent had two new boys in Sunday school and in order to register them, she had to ask them their, their names and their birthdays uh, and their ages. And the bolder of the two brothers said, uh, we're both seven. My birthday is April 8th, uh, 1998. And my brother's is April 20th, 1998. 
But that's impossible, the superintendent said. No, it's not, answered the quieter of the two brothers. Uh, one of us is adopted, he said. And then without, before she could think, she said, oh, which one? And the two brothers looked at each other and smiled. And they said, well, we asked dad a while ago. And he just said that he loved us both. And he forgot which one of us was adopted. He couldn't remember anymore. See, when we believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, we are adopted into God's family. We are God's children. And therefore, we can have confidence that we are God's children through what Jesus has done for us and opening the way of adoption for us. And then we can have confidence also in Jesus' second coming or his return. Verses in 28 in chapter 2 and then also verse 2 in chapter 3 both mention this fact. In chapter 2, verse 28, use the phrase, when he appears. And then we can read in chapter 3, verse 2, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Do we have confidence that Jesus will come back, will return? You know, biblical prophecy provides some of the greatest encouragement and hope that is available for us today in this specific instance. The Old and New Testaments are filled with references of the second coming of Jesus Christ. One scholar has estimated that there are 1,845 references to Christ's second coming in the Old Testament alone. And then in the 260 chapters of the New Testament, there are 318 references to Jesus' second coming. And it's amazing if you do the statistics, one out of every 30 verses of the New Testament. Also from chapter 3, verse 2, we can have confidence that we will be like Jesus. Uh, and, and we are becoming more and more like Jesus. We're being transformed into his likeness. As 2 Corinthians chapter 3 Verse 18 says, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is molding you and me to be more like Jesus through his inner transforming work. And when he returns, then Christ returns, we will be like him. Free from sin and with new resurrected bodies, we will be like Christ, redeemed. And we will have confidence. We can have confidence, I mean, now, in what we look forward to in the future. So then our text continues in 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 10, which was meant to be an encouragement to believers who were dealing with these false teachers, like I mentioned before. These false teachers were claiming to be children of God while living a sinful life. And so the author defines what sin is and describes the response that the children of God should have towards sin. And these verses were meant to encourage us as followers of Jesus as Lord and Savior and give us a guide 
as to how to discern who is truly a child of God. So chapters, chapter 3, verses 6, and then also verse 9 say, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Now, the problem that this presents to us who follow Christ is that we still sin. I, I, I don't know about you, but I struggle with sin every day. So I'm continuing to sin, to commit sin. And, and so where does that leave us? In understanding verses 6 and 9 in this text of verses 4 through 10, uh, does this mean that we fall into the category that verse 8 describes, saying, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil? Do we need to live without sin in our life to really be a child of God? Well, to understand these verses, we must understand what sin is and how it is defined in this context. Uh, and verse 4 especially is where the author, John, defines it, saying, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So here we see sin is lawlessness. And the Greek word for sin simply literally means misses the mark or missing the mark. And God's law gives people this mark, the standard for which to obey. And if God did not tell us what we were to be like, then we would never realize how sinful we really are. So one can only see, for example, how crooked a line is if you put it and compare it to a, a straight uh, edge. Then we'll know how crooked it is. But missing the mark does not mean at all that sin is a mistake. Like, oops, you know, I sinned. The Greek expression between, behind, I mean, lawlessness, this word in English, means opposes the law of God. So that's not a mistake. Lawlessness means more than just the absence of law. It means that there is an active rebellion against law. Those who keep on sinning are actively rebelling against the law of God. So that's the image here that John is presenting. The Apostle John stated earlier in this letter, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the, law, and the truth is not in us. So we all sin. Uh, both the children of God who are following Christ and the children of the devil who do not follow Jesus. But the difference is in who we follow and therefore the way we live with respect to sin. So verse 5 goes on to explain this. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. So Jesus appeared to take away our sins. Then for the wages of sin is death. But Jesus came out of his love for us and died in our place in order to pay the penalty, to pay the penalty once and for all. And so by taking our sin on himself and paying that penalty, this displays God's love for us. 
And Jesus was only able to do this because he had no sin. And he has no sin going forward. Jesus never sinned. And yet he willingly died to pay the penalty for all the world, all the world's sin, all the people's sin. Romans 10 verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, Jesus' sacrifice for us is how he saves us from the hell we deserve because of our sin. And so because of our sins, we deserve to go to hell because of our rebellion against the living God and his law. But Jesus came and, and paid the penalty for our, our punishment. He took our punishment on himself. And so if we place our faith and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, our relationship with God is established forever. And we become his children and we will live forever in God's family and enter into his kingdom. But those who do not choose to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior will perish with the devil and his angels. This is the teaching of the Bible. So if you're listening now and you have not committed and acknowledged Jesus as Lord and Savior and are not following him, then I would encourage you that now is the time to do so. As you're understanding this wonderful gift of grace from the Lord God. He offers you life eternal in peace and the truth of this reality, and that is Him, the Lord Christ Himself. All this requires is an acknowledgement of who He is, that is, Lord and Creator of this universe and Savior of, of, from the penalty of your sin. He paid that penalty. Trust him in that and then follow him as leader of your life. And he will enter your heart in his spirit and transform you. Then verses 6 through 10 of our text deal with our attitude towards sin. And John wrote this because of the attitude of these false teachers who were claiming to be children of God and followers of Jesus and yet living sinful lives. They called themselves as part of God's family. So they were trying to deceive, or even deceiving themselves, uh, the church of Jesus Christ. And so, uh, let me give an example of this. In 1982, the ABC Evening News reported an unusual work of modern art. It was a chair affixed to a shotgun. And it was to be viewed by sitting in the chair and looking directly into the barrel of the shotgun that's pointing at your face. A weird work of art. And the interesting thing was the gun was loaded and there was a timer put on the gun to shoot the gun uh, in an undetermined time over the next hundred years. So the gun was loaded. It could go off at any time, sometime in the next hundred years. And people would line up and wait to be able to sit in this chair and look at the barrel of that gun directly for a few seconds or a little longer, taking the risk that the gun wouldn't go off during their time of sitting in the chair. You know, if we're attracted to sin, like these people were attracted 
to sit in this chair despite the danger that they faced, then we have the wrong attitude towards sin. Uh, This is what John referred to in verse 6. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. You see, there's a difference between committing a sin and continuing in or continuing to sin. Even the most, most faithful followers of Jesus commit sins. Uh, the difference is that a true believer and follower of Christ commits a sin and then has the heart to confess that sin and turn away from that sin, which is what we call repent of that sin, and find and accept the forgiveness of Jesus Christ over and over again. Not that we need His forgiveness in the sense to be applied over again. We get it once and for all, but that we accept that truth and move away from that sin and turn away from it. But those who continue to sin will not repent of what they're doing. There's that attitude toward their sin. They live in continual opposition to God, no matter what religious claims they make. And these are usually the people who often whine and make excuses or cut corners or complain or act up or throw temper tantrums or cut down other people. uh, And yet they claim to follow Jesus and they don't want to deal with their own sin. You see, the attitude is quite different between these two groups. John is challenging those people who claim to be children of God, who claim to be followers of Jesus, and yet live with unrepentant hearts toward their own sin. He's challenging them that they are not followers of Jesus because they continue to sin. And this is the proof that John puts in verse 6, that they do not know or follow Jesus in reality. Because sin is dangerous. It separates us from God. And when we follow the Lord Jesus and commit to Him uh, as His followers, when we sin, it breaks our fellowship with God, not our relationship, remember. We are secure as children of God. We can have confidence in that. But when we commit a sin, it breaks our fellowship uh, with Him. Until we confess our sin and accept the truth of His forgiveness, then we are reconciled in the sense, an in-fellowship is restored. Let me illustrate this in another way. For eight years, uh, Sally, who had been the Romero family pet, uh, and uh, this pet was an unusual pet because when they got her, she was only a foot long. But then Sally grew, and then eventually she reached 11 and a half feet long and weighed 80 pounds, But then, tragically, on July 20th, 1993, Sally, who was a Burmese python, uh, turned on the 15-year-old Derek, strangling this teenager until he died of suffocation. The Associated Press Online quoted the police as saying, the snake was quite aggressive, hissing, and reacting when they arrived to investigate. And just like the snake the snake that was with this family from being so small and then growing gradually to being so big, it seems like when we take sin and look at sin in our lives as harmless um, and so little, but then we allow it to grow and grow gradually. So to tolerate and ignore sin 
it will eventually definitely lead to death. And if we, if we believe we can ignore our sin and that we can simply cover it up and it will just go away, we're, we're going to eventually be killed by it. And this is like another story where a man purchased this little cute white mouse to use as food for his pet snake. And so he dropped the mouse into the snake cage, as like he usually did. And the mouse was in a dilemma now, but the snake was uh, sleeping all curled up in a uh, bed of sawdust. And so what the mouse did, uh, seeing its dilemma, it decided to go to work and it just started digging and, and covering the rest of the sawdust to, to cover up the snake completely while it slept. The snake didn't do anything. It just let the mouse cover it up. And so then actually the mouse couldn't see the snake. And so it was starting to act like more at peace and more comfortable. So it started to clean itself and do its normal mouse things. Um, but this is a good image of that. No matter how hard we try to cover up or deny our sin, it's fool's work because sin will eventually awake from sleep and attack and destroy us and devour us. Verse 10 of our text, the last verse of our text says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. The righteousness given to us in Christ will naturally lead to righteous acts done in our lives. And in the same way, a tree that bears good fruit is a good tree. The fruit doesn't make the tree good. It reveals that the tree is good. Sin is serious. And if we as children of God, if we are children of God, then we will abide in Jesus. And this means that we'll confess our sin when we come to grips that we are dealing with something that's uh, dishonoring to Christ or rebellion against the law of God. And we'll turn away from it because the Spirit of Jesus dwells within us and enables us to do so. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to do so. Who do we really trust? Who do you really trust? And what do you have confidence in this life? Is it your job, the government, or yourself? Or is it Jesus, the living Lord and Redeemer of mankind, the creator of the universe? Jesus is the only hope that we can have in this life and the life to come. Put your trust in him. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for the grace that you've given us. We did not deserve it. And yet, because of your love, you sent Jesus, our Redeemer, our Savior, our Lord. And Jesus demonstrated your righteousness in his life and your love in his death and his resurrection. Lord, we desire to follow you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So empower us, enable us to do righteous acts on earth, to love those in our lives, our neighbor, no matter who they may be, whatever race and color or or persuasion they may be, Lord, we are called to love them in the name of the Lord Jesus. And we pray that we would be followers that is evident of your love toward others, and especially toward one another. Fill us, Holy Spirit, 
with this evidence of your existence in this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Great to be with you again, brothers and sisters. Next week is our missions conference, and so make sure to tune in for that. God bless.